What's up, podcast fam? I can't wait for you to hear this episode with Michael Brody. Wait, he is the man behind the viral TED Talk, Great Leaders Do What Drug Addicts Do, um, recovering addict, but talks about rigorous authenticity that is so important in life and in business and for entrepreneurs as we all have been in scenarios where we've hidden behind a mask. So super cool podcast, uh, great guy, insanely valuable and applicable context that's going to come from this podcast. So I'm super excited for you to watch or listen. Check it out. All right, Michael. Hey, thank you for being on the napkin game plan. Um, super psyched that you're on. So we, we found you through your TED Talk, which has over a million views. Yep. And the title of that TED Talk was Great Leaders Live Like, Live like Drug Addicts, How to Lead Your Life, or no, I'm sorry, How to Lead Like Your Life Depends on It, um, which obviously the drug addict part in running a business like a drug addict caught my attention and my team's attention. Um, so you have over a million views on that TED Talk. Congratulations. That's pretty phenomenal. Thanks. Uh, but give us a quick introduction and then kind of your origin story. Yeah, man. And thanks for having me on. Um, so originally from California, I grew up in a life that was not particularly traumatic in any way, but um, addiction runs in my family. And when I was in college, I went from curious around alcohols and alcohol and drugs to becoming full-blown addicted to alcohol and drugs. Um, so I left college or they kicked me out of college. I didn't just choose to leave. Um, and I went to rehab out, um, in California, a place called Betty Ford. And I then, um, went to another rehab out in Nunnally, Tennessee, which I thought, um, was in the middle of like a dude ranch of some sort. Cause there were a lot of guys with cowboys with cowboy hats on riding horses and stuff. And a guy from Cali's not used to that. Um, so I, I learned about recovery there and I chose to stay. There was about an hour and a half from Nashville, Tennessee. And I chose to stay in Nashville, Tennessee. And I started um, by entering 12-step recovery once I got out of the rehab. Um, so my clean date, September 1st, 2002. And essentially my um, professional uh, arc was I started as um, uh, a rep for a, a temporary rep at a Dell kiosk in a mall selling Dell computers right around the time when the people were saying, dude, you're getting a Dell. And I had like long blonde yeah. hair and two hoop <laughs> earrings and flip flops from California. So I totally fit the part. That's awesome. um, so I was able to sell some computers and then they asked me if I wanted to be in the, in the Dell corporate side in the actual, they have a big office here in Nashville. And so I spent eight years working my way up through the corporate ladder there. I had eight different roles. I ended up with 19 direct reports and $250 million in revenue territory. Um, and then at the height of the recession, I thought it'd be a great idea to leave my cushy job. And even though at the, almost at the age of 30, I'm grateful to be clean. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to have a job. I decided to risk it all. Um, wow. And me and my partner, we start, we co-found um, an online software as a service company called InQuicker. And our mission was to reinvent access to healthcare by allowing patients to self-schedule appointments through a mobile device, which wasn't being done. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have any, any investors. We didn't have any experience. Um, and yet I mortgaged, or I didn't mortgage, I didn't have a mortgage, but I, uh, the closest thing I had to a mortgage, I maxed out my credit card, which 
any entrepreneur knows you yeah. do not do. <laughs> That's right. It's bad. Uh, no, no. Unless you're just crazy enough. Um, right. But I was playing with house money. I was just glad to be alive. Um, so I drained my bank account, drained my 401k, maxed out the credit card. We started the company. Um, we were uh, really lucky to be really successful. Um, built that business and sold it in 2015 to a public company that you and I both know. Um, and then I, when I, during my time there, one of the big things I saw was a parallel in entrepreneurship between recovering addicts and entrepreneurs. So most addicts feel alone and most entrepreneurs feel alone. Absolutely. And both are facing a challenge in which they're facing about 90% rate of failure. And so for me in recovery, I went to a place, a 12 step meeting where a bunch of people that were like me, that had my same problem said, Hey, we have experience dealing with this problem. Let us show you how we did it. And so that's where I learned the 12 steps. That's where I got a sponsor and I got meetings and all that kind of stuff. So when I was at the beginning of my business and I knew we were just successful enough where I was going to completely wreck it because I had no idea how to be a CEO, um, I started looking for the equivalent of a 12-step fellowship for entrepreneurs. And we had a nonprofit that started here in Nashville called the Nashville Entrepreneur Center that I was one of the first entrepreneurs that helped. And they essentially gave me the equivalent. And that became a real focus point for me. And so after I sold my company, they were actually looking for a new CEO. And so I went and I became a CEO, the CEO, the first CEO of that nonprofit that had actually been served by the mission. And I had a different perspective because I was looking at it through the lens of recovery from drug addiction and how the similarities were so significant in entrepreneurship. People talk a lot about venture capital and accelerators and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that stuff isn't valuable and important, but there's a two dimensional narrative around what entrepreneurship looks like and what the resources are available um, for entrepreneurs. And so I, we were serving 700 entrepreneurs a year. By the time I left, we were serving 2000 and it's the front door to the Nashville entrepreneurship ecosystem. And in my time there, I realized that there was something at the intersection of recovery from drug addiction um, and entrepreneurship and, and, and being a leader. And that's when I did my Ted talk because I realized, um, and, and the way I, that, that the name of the book, great leader live like drug addicts, but the name of the Ted talk is great leaders do what drug addicts do. And the way I came up with that title, is someone's like, so what are you trying to accomplish? And I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't explain everything. I was like, dude, I just think great leaders should do what drug addicts do. And they're like, that's the title. And I'm like, really? That's, that's the title? They're like, yeah. And so it's all about how I personally believe, and I'll, I'll stop talking after this, but I, I personally believe that leaders believe they have to hide behind a mask in order to be mm -hmm. successful. They have to hide parts of their true selves. And up until 20 years ago, that was actually true. But a lot has changed in our world and in business to actually allow authenticity to be a competitive advantage. But we use authenticity as a buzzword and transactionally. And so what I did was I took everything I learned in a 12-step program and everything I learned in all these different leadership roles, and I created a mask-free program so that leaders are able to systematically and consistently lead themselves without a mask. And really, at the end of the day, all it is is telling them to do what addicts do in recovery because it's really interesting. Leaders are wearing masks, they're hiding themselves. Addicts are experts at wearing masks. And to get clean, you have to be an expert at removing it. And so actually, all the recovering addicts out there right now have the secret sauce for how to be a great leader. And I'm just trying to bring that story to light. I love that. So what, what does it mean when an entrepreneur removes the mask? What does that look like? So, um, so the three principles that I talk about um, that really form the mask-free program. So it's practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. And so what it looks like, so practice rigorous authenticity. So 
Authenticity is being true to yourself in word or action. Um, and I think a lot of us can point back to that time two years ago when we kept it real. Um, but when the customer's on the line, when the marriage is on the line, when everything's on the line, uh, it's really easy to slip behind that mask for protection and tell a white lie or spin the truth a little bit. So to me, it's one thing to be authentic. A lot of people talk about authenticity. The reason that we talk about authentic leadership and the reason that no politician has ever answered a question with, I don't know, um, is because nobody knows how to practice rigorous authenticity. Yeah. That means strictly applying it, no matter the stakes, no matter the consequences, and making a point to practice it every single day. And for me, for an entrepreneur, that can look like you're in a meeting with a venture capitalist and they ask you a question instead of BSing them, you say, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, with a customer who asks you, have you done this before? Being able to say, no, I haven't. But here's why I'm confident I can do it. And here's why you can be confident. Or like when I was CEO of my company and I didn't know how to run it, and I realized that I was going to wreck this thing because I was like a kid in a suit. I went, to, I was so scared to tell my team that I didn't know how to be a CEO because I was like, oh, the CEO is supposed to have all the answers. You're not supposed to admit weakness. You're not supposed to admit fear and insecurity. I went to my team and told them, and they're, they're the ones that helped me find the National Entrepreneur Center. So oh, wow. for entrepreneurs, I think you're, we think we need to front. You're punching me in the stomach right now. Right, well, we, we think we need to front because we're scared that we won't be successful. But the truth is that people are looking for who's real and they're going to connect with who's real on a human level. That, and that transcends business. And that actually gives you a competitive advantage. No, I, I absolutely love it. So I was going to ask, like, what does that look when when leading a team? And you you answered that because hey, that's something I've, I've struggled with as an entrepreneur. And last year was big on that. Like business was great. Last year we plateau a little bit. And now I got to go, oh, man. I'm not the best at the operational. I'm definitely mm. the visionary. I'm not the in the trenches. This is how we get it done. This is what we need to do. Someone else is better at overseeing the step-by-step. -step, and I struggle with that hard as an entrepreneur. And things started to turn when I went to my team and said, look, okay, we're bringing this person in to run operations because I'm not a great leader in this facet of the business. I'm yep. a great leader of knowing where we need to go and seeing the vision and how to get there someone else needs to follow the steps. So, I mean, that's, I think most entrepreneurs have fallen into that space where it's really easy to put on a mask of everything's great, profitability's good, cash flow's great. My, you mentioned marriage. That's the first thing to suffer with an entrepreneur is the relationships yeah. outside. You become so, so much better at communicating with your employees than you do with your spouse or your significant other or your kids. And that's, you know, a, a big curve and to be able to go home and act like everything's great when you know payroll, may, it's Wednesday and payroll might not happen on Friday, but everything's great. Yeah, we could take that vacation. Yeah, we go go ahead, buy that purse. It's, you know, it's living, I, I, I love what you said, just taking that mask off because I think that, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, entrepreneurship is such a lonely place and it, it can be great and it can be the ultimate freedom, but it can be the ultimate trap as well. And um, so, it, take me backwards a little bit. What what did what was the lowest of low eighteen years ago when you know that was your sober day? What you know what was that like? Yeah. Um, so uh, we have a saying in recovery that your bottom is when you stop digging. So everybody's got a different bottom. Um, I have a friend that like never lost a job or anything like that. And then we see the horror stories. But for me, 
Um, I had been kicked out of school. I'd been fired from my job. I'd been kicked out of my house. Um, my car had been repossessed. Um, but I wasn't sleeping on the street um, because my buddy was letting me stay at his house, um, his apartment. And um, I was like the most um, unwelcome overstayed guest in the history of people that crashed on someone's couch. Um, because I was there for like three months and uh, he would go to work during the day and I would steal from him. Um, and then I would drink his uh, alcohol, eat his food. And, and so for me, the, the, the bottom was I went to breakfast with my dad like every couple weeks and he would take me to Denny's. I don't know why I remember that. Um, and we would, we would eat and he would say he just wanted to, to see me, but I knew he wanted to know that his son was still alive. Mm-hmm. And he would always offer to send me to rehab. Um, and um, the one thing about the, the, the guy who I was staying with was he was also my drug hookup. He was my using buddy and my drug hookup. Um, and so I remember coming back to the apartment and telling him about how my dad had offered to go to rehab. And I thought he'd be like, no, nah, man, you don't need that. You know, you have a problem when the guy that's your drug hookup and your using buddy tells you that you should probably go to rehab. Like that's a problem. Um, And so that was one thing. And then at around the same time, um, I went to the doctor and he told me that he didn't say it this way, but this is how I like to say it. Um, The only thing higher than me was my liver enzymes. Um, (laughs) And, (laughs) and he asked me how much, how many cigarettes I smoked. And I said, I didn't. And he said, then why is your fingernail stained yellow? Um, And I was like, well, actually I smoke two packs a day and I smoke anything that I can actually put in a pipe. Um, and I, I started throwing up blood. Um, I, I couldn't fit into my clothes. My body was a wreck. Um, and I always tell this story, um, that just symbolizes where I was. Um, one night I'm on Venice beach, it's 2am I'm drunk and high stumbling around looking to get higher. And I find myself in this triangle with a homeless man on my left and a prostitute on my right. And each one of us are wearing a mask trying to get what we want. I want the homeless man's blunt. He wants a prostitute and she wants me to be her last customer. And none of us are being honest about what we have to offer though. So I'm pretending I have money. He's pretending he has more drugs and she's pretending she's not trying to attempt a business transaction. And we're all isolated on Venice beach, drunken high strangers trying to hustle each other and, and not being real. No one's talking about, you know, anything that makes us human. Right. Nobody's talking about like I'm in a lot of pain right now. Like it's it's so isolating. Um, and so that night, th- nothing terrible happened. Like I'm not going to say I got locked up like none of that stuff. But it's a symbol for me of what my life had become. Um, and it's the story I always think of that kind of represents that bottom. And yeah. for me, I just ran out of options because my buddy was going to kick me out. So I took rehab as a way of just having shelter. Okay. I didn't know that it was going to be the thing that changed my life. Wow. That's it. That's it's a good, it's not an analogy, but that, that triangle is, we all find us maybe not in that type of scenario, but in situations like that, where we're wearing a mask to try to have a transaction or. Oh dude, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got an investor and your customer, your employee and your customer, we got these triangles, we got your family and your customer. We got these triangles all over the place. And it's the thing is, is that everybody hides their true self because they think it's gonna make it more successful. But in the last 20 years, everything has changed. Our global economy is completely connected through technology. And so now human connections at an all time low 
And we've transitioned from a manufacturing economy to a services economy where human connection becomes 10 times more important. So from a business perspective, in the last 20 years, we're at this intersection where if you can just push past that discomfort and be a real human, even though you'll be communicating a weakness or you don't know whatever, you're going to connect with the human that's inside the professional sitting across from you. And you're going to be able to build a level of connection in a relationship business. It's going to be able to make you more successful, yeah. but it's so freaking scary that most people don't know how to do it. They that's just it. don't know how they want that's, to, you're exactly but they're too right. scared. Well, that's interesting. So do you think that social media has made it easier to be authentic or easier to hide behind a mask? I think it makes it easier to hide behind a mask. Um, I think there's, I'm not saying that people aren't authentic online, mm -hmm. um, but I think that it, when you aren't looking an actual human in the eye, it is a lot easier to create a story around who you are, just the sure. same way it is with a stranger versus like your mom or your dad or your spouse. Um, and I think that if you look at how we're now communicating through technology, one other interesting trend is we are working virtually far more than we ever have mm -hmm. um, through distributed working. And that means that we end up communicating more through technology than face to face. I'm not people can be authentic digitally, totally. But it's so easy to hide just by because it takes a lot of work to represent all of the spaces in between the awesome breakfast and the wonderful trip. Right. Yeah. No, it takes exactly a lot right. of work to represent all of that. That's right. right. That's right. A hundred percent. Now, so I, I agree with you, but I also think that it's shed light on like who you are online has to map to who you are when you get that face to face. So it also is, is shining a lens on, sniffing out who's wearing the mask and who's not wearing the mask. hundred so percent. I think it can fall both ways. And it's all right. So, so technology, let's, let's then go back rehab. You, you talk about in your Ted talk, the first job you got at a, at a Sam Goody, um, yeah. which it's funny. You said, if anyone remembers what a CD was, that's where that, that was, I think it says Spotify. That yeah. was the, the brick and mortar Spotify yeah. <laughs> 18 years ago. And you're dead on with that. So you get this hourly job out of Sam Goody. How does that lead you to corporate America to entrepreneurship? Like that's most people probably aren't going to have a Sam Goody story in their entrepreneurial journey. Um, great question. So for me, I just, I had five business days to get a job or I was going to get kicked out of my halfway house. So I just grabbed whatever I could. Although when I go do speaking engagements, I'll throw up the Sam Goody slide and depending on the age of the audience, they literally are completely baffled as to what that is. Makes sense. Um, All right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so to get music, you used to have to actually go in on a Tuesday <laughs> and buy this physical right. uh, disc. There was an actual album drop. Yes. And it's confusing because we call them record stores, but when I was growing up, they sold CDs, but whatever. Um, so for me, with, without rehashing the story, to get that job, I had to make a decision on whether or not I told the manager the truth about why I needed a job and what my background was. And in working the principles that are in my TED Talk and in my book, and then, and then I learned in recovery, I was able to tell them the truth and I got the job. And so... Was that the first job, time? Was that the first time that you removed the mask? Yes. So it was. A, so literally, like, I get out of rehab and I I have five business days to get a job. So I'm in a halfway house with a bunch of recovering addicts. So my only real time in the real world is in the Sam got Sam Goody job interview. So I'm not only in the real world. I'm in a job interview where if I don't get the job, I get kicked out of the halfway house and I have nowhere to live. Yeah. 
So, and my sponsor tells me, he says, practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. And I'm like, but this is going to absolutely make it so that I don't get the job. And now I'll be out on the street. And he's like, this isn't about whether you get the job. It's about whether you practice these principles, no matter what. Yeah. And so I did, I told the guy I just gone out of rehab. And the reason I didn't have any job history for the last three years is because I was using and he still gave it to me. And that destroyed the belief in my mind that I had to hide. And I was really lucky because I had a sponsor that told me, um, I'm not, I'm not a religious guy, but recovery made me spiritually said anything um, that's anything true in God's world anywhere is true everywhere. And so that's what gave me the courage to be transparent about me being a recovering addict in that environment. And so when, um, when I had that job, I also was doing on the weekends, the temporary rep at the kiosk in the mall okay. for Dell computer, okay. because all I did was work because I had debt um, and go to meetings. Like that's all I did. Just Which like recovery helped you stay sober right? Keeping busy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that uh, sometimes there's this, this um, incorrect notion that being busy helps someone stay uh, sober or clean. Um, it doesn't. Um, what helps them stay clean is if they work their program, but it doesn't hurt if they're managing their responsibilities, right? And okay. like I had debt and I had to pay stuff off. And so, um, and I had a lot of free time when you're no longer pursuing drugs and alcohol at any cost and using them 10 to 12 hours, you find that you have free time on your hands. Yeah, it's a lot of time in the day then. Yeah. yeah and then you actually have money to buy a, like a sandwich, which is really nice. Like it's so, um, so it was when I was working both those jobs that I found out about the corporate opportunity for Dell and it was just some, someone told me about it and I loved computers at the time and I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I loved the Dell story at the time. Um, and so I just said, you know, Hey, what would it look like if I turned both of these jobs into just a full-time job in, in corporate headquarters? And, um, and eventually there was a bunch of things I had to do to make that happen, but eventually cool. I made that happen. You obviously had to perform at the kiosk and be authentic and real to get that opportunity as, you know, not even a college dropout, but a college kickout, which is insanely different. It wasn't your choice to get out of school. So no. being able then to go lead a team like you led at Dell obviously speaks to your character and that rigorous authenticity and, and, you know, your, your second step of surrendering the outcome, right? So and when I was listening to your Ted talk and even now you telling that story, there could have been so much fear in telling that Sam Goody manager about your past that you completely had to surrender the outcome. There was no way that you could control Correct. the narrative of that conversation going forward um, if you were going to be rigorously authentic. And I think putting that into business terms as an entrepreneur, like you're in deals, I'm in deals. Most entrepreneurs are in deals, whether it's with a client, whether it's with an investor, whether it's with employees, whether it's with a potential hire, where it would be, it's so easy to, to pitch this huge grand story that really doesn't exist. And we've got our fingers crossed behind our back, hoping that we can deliver when, if we are just authentic and, and like you said, answering that investor with, I don't know, is going to be the best possible scenario because at some point that, that mask is going to catch up with that conversation long-term and, it, and it's going to sour things. And so I don't, I want people to go listen to your Ted talk. So I don't want to get into the, the full thing and, and how that all plays out. But 
So corporate America, you're obviously successful in that role. Um, you jump into, I'm going to guess, an industry, healthcare, that you, other than your experience with with meetings and recovery, I, yeah, you I had no in. type of no. engagement in, So, which is a lot of entrepreneurs. So, so take me through that process of leaving corporate America in a recession with a job that was paying the bills to go into a profession you knew nothing about to create a product. How'd that come about? I still can't relate to the guy that took that risk, um, <laughs> but I'm very glad he did it because I get to be this guy. For sure. Um, uh, so for me, it was, I actually accepted that I, I'd always dreamed of being an entrepreneur and I just accepted that dream would die and I was lucky to be alive and have a job. Um, so when I, when I left and I, and I did it, what I took all those risks, but here's the thing is it's not just about being authentic. So, um, I've done a lot of research and I've assessed a lot of leaders and there are four different ways, four different masks that we wear in business okay. that hurt us that we do every day. We say yes to things that we could say no to. We hide a weakness. We avoid difficult conversations and we hold back our unique perspective. In one moment, those don't kill you. In a lot of moments stacked up, those can be the difference between success and failure or competitive advantage. So while I didn't know healthcare, um, what I was able to do was I was able to practice these three principles and I was able to be more effective in those four areas. So for example, um, my first call with a hospital, they referenced a federal statute called EMTALA that I had no understanding. I didn't, I wasn't even sure what a federal statute was, let alone one that governed healthcare. Um, and so I had a moment there where I could say, where I could BS them and say, oh yeah, no, we're, we comply and all this kind of stuff. Or... I could not hide my weakness and I could say, I have no idea what that is. Will you please explain it to me? Now I would love to say that I got that deal. I didn't, I did not get that deal. But what happened was because I was straight up, I got real data that I knew I then had to go do a bunch of work to understand. And the thing is, is that surrendering the outcome, one, one of my biggest fears in talking about these principles is people think it's like uh, new age stuff. Yeah. And to me, it's next level stuff. So I'm an yeah. entrepreneur that yeah. cares about business outcomes. It cares about efficiency. When you surrender the outcome and you, you identify what you can't control and you identify what you can, you realize that you waste 50% of your energy on things you can't control. Yeah. So it's about efficiency. So instead of trying to, oh, I'm trying to control what this guy thinks of me or what's going to happen with this deal. No, man, surrender that outcome. That deal's done. I can't control that. I don't know what the heck Mtala is. I can't control whether I get online and do some research right. and I can't control whether I don't try to present like this false facade. And I call a bunch of people and say, Hey, can you educate me on this topic? Like, and so it adds up into all these little decisions where I was able to turn myself into a healthcare veteran, um, into an entrepreneur, into a technology based entrepreneur and continue to learn how to do all these things. Not because I'm uniquely special, but because I had a framework, that gave me super clarity on who I was being authentic and then gave me clarity on what I needed to surrender. So I could just focus on what I could control. And with all that clarity and energy, there was a lot of uncomfortable work that we have to do as entrepreneurs that I was able to do that. And now coaching thousands of entrepreneurs, a lot of them are scared to do. Like a lot of them want to sit there and mess with a pricing structure instead of go pitch 10 customers and get told no 10 times. Like I'm, I'm on the board of this one company right now where, where, I'm, where the guy's literally talking to me about all the things he wants to do with the pricing structure. I'm like, have you 
ask 10 customers why they buy. Yeah. He's like, right. no, I want to, I want to mess with this. I'm like, well, you're just scared of like what they're going to say. You can't yeah. control what they think, but you can control whether you get that data. That's right. And so to me, it was like literally being a recovering addict, using these three principles, not hiding my weaknesses, not being scared to say no, not being scared of difficult conversations, willing to represent my unique perspective that allowed me to turn myself into an entrepreneur. Um, just doing literally what drug addicts do to recover. Like I'm not special in that regard. There's millions of people doing exactly what I was right. doing. I'm just looking at it through the lens of leadership and entrepreneurship. But so many entrepreneurs are scared to do those things. I think you're exactly right. And I think too that it relates so well to entrepreneurship because entrepreneurs are addicts of something, whether it's the project, whether it's the deal, whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. We're addicts of the rush that we get when we're presenting a big 100%. deal. We're addicted to the no. Like the no can drive far more success sometimes than the yes can. Yep. So like we're, we're, we're addicts to something in that regard. And I think this, like I love the way that this applies. And prior to your TED Talk and getting exposure to that, um, you know, I wanted to live authentic because that's just how I was raised and morally, I think it's right to, if you don't know, you don't know, and you're going to get further ahead if you're honest and tell the truth in all circumstances. But to see it applied in these three, these three steps and, and through the lens that you bring, I think is insanely relatable to entrepreneurs. There's a lot of business books that we can go read, and there's a lot of great leaders that we can follow and multi-billionaire, you know, entrepreneurs that have or just serial entrepreneurs but these three principles i think are if mastered are the absolute game changer like that valuable in the structure of, of, of business and just in life and the way we deal with people so um all right start the company go from one employee or you and a you and a partner to 50 20 percent growth overnight exit sell to a public company what are you doing today uh and, and well you became ceo of of the entrepreneur uh group in nashville Center. yep and you've i saw left that at the end of last year yep now now what what's next what are, what are you doing uh today so i'm 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 on a mission to teach the world how to live mask free and the way i'm going to do that is by teaching the leaders of this world how to live like drug addicts um, and specifically, the reason I say that and not recovering addicts is um, you can choose whether you're in active addiction. So as a leader, you can choose the old model of lying and hiding. Um, or you can be like a recovering addict and you can choose a new model of actually practicing rigorous authenticity. And I want to teach leaders and companies how to. So I've worked with, I've been really fortunate since I started doing this. I've worked with Google and Dell um, lar other large companies, startups that are rapidly growing. And the really interesting thing is that like as a speaker um, and an author, I'm supposed to like tailor my message to an audience, but they all struggle with this stuff. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a CEO, the executive, the manager, everybody's got a reason that they think they have to hide right. their true selves. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people have this misconception that authenticity is like this nice to have self-helpy thing. Um, and so I'm, so the way I'm teaching the world to live uh, mask free is I'm helping leaders appreciate that through our research, um, we've identified that people waste 25% of their time on their mask. 
So, and Harvard Business Review says time now is the most scarce resource inside companies. So literally your most scarce resource is being peddled away, hiding when all of us want to be authentic anyhow. So I'm trying to connect concrete business outcomes to something that's just good, good for us. But we need the leaders of this world to see how that connects to their business strategies in order to make it safe for their employees. And they need to go first. So I'm out there and I'm basically doing speaking. I'm doing workshops. Uh, my book comes out um, May 5th. I'm doing my podcast. And all this is teaching these three principles and the specific program that I put together that's modeled off of the 12-step program to allow you to go from, oh, those are three really great principles to literally a 28-day process that you can do every 28 days that distills all this stuff down to one minute a day. Uh, one minute a day. Wow, like you take okay. one action to one minute a day. And, and it's like basically at a high level, it's these three principles. I have this whole system and it teaches you how to do, create these tools. And these tools allow you to do something for one minute a day that teaches you how to live mask free. And then over time, the people that have gone through this, they're seeing that they're reclaiming time. They're having better connections with the people around them. And they're able to actually practice true leadership by not obscuring their unique perspective, whatever that is. And so I'm just working with anyone and everybody to be able to try to teach them how to do this. My long, long-term goal though, um, one of my heroes is Bill Wilson, the founder of AA. Mm -hmm. um, he built, there's a lot of um, personal brand people out there um, building like a way of doing things and it's all built around them. Um, I don't really give a crap about me. Um, I understand I need to carry the message. I'm building a mask-free program that has the system and a sponsor and a society, and I'm building the tools to make it self-sustaining so that anybody can get this benefit without me being involved. And so I won't rest until inside of every company, there's a mask-free society. I won't wow. rest until in every community, there's a mask-free society. And unfortunately, I'll probably have to die before I fully see all of that. Before so I won't rest. technically rest. <laughs> but I think JFK said this may not be done in our lifetime, but it's not a reason not that's not a good reason not to start. Uh, I love it. So I want to I want to ask you another question. You you said that people want to live authentic, uh, mask free, authentic lives. Do you really believe that? I th I think that it, deep down people want to. I think that they the thing they believe that the things that they want. I don't think anybody wakes up and says I want to hide who I am. Okay. One of the biggest things I've yeah. identified is we only wear masks when another human being is involved. That makes sense. So, okay. yeah. so we have to be, even if it's like through social media or online, right? right? It's, the, it's right. the eyeballs online. So I don't think on our own, we want to be inauthentic. I think what happens is we're scared we're not going to get what we want or need. And then we start wearing the mask in to order get to it. get what we want or need. And because it's common it actually becomes the way that you get what you want and need. Just and so normal, right. all the leaders are doing it, you got to do it too, right? We, we learn it as kids, right? Yeah. We, le we learn what we need to say to get out of a situation and we need to, what we need to say to get what we want. It, it, it's, it's, it's inherently built in us as humans. So I, I, I fully agree that we want to live authentic, but I wanted to feel kind of where you were coming from. With I don't that. think we identify with that, though. I don't think I don't we think go, we oh, I either. want to, because what we do is we imagine the incredible vulnerability right. and risk. But I'm saying, what if that vulnerability and risk was the battle and, you're, and you could actually win the war? I love it. I love it. All right. One more question, because 
the way that I dress is part of my brand. I'm in a, in a profession of suit and tie and cufflinks, and I wear blinged out clothes and jeans with holes in them and earrings. In your TED Talk, you wore sandals. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you wear sandals in your TED Talk? Which is oh, awesome. Man. But... You have no idea how big these flip-flops were as a narrative <laughs> before, during, and after the TED Talk. Um, so being from California, even when I was in my active addiction, I wore flip-flops most of the time. Okay. I, I, I think my feet are just like extra hot. Like, I don't think I have something special here. Um, but when I moved to Tennessee, we have actually really cold winters. And yeah. I would wear flip-flops in most of the winter time as well. Um, and so I wore them at <laughs> Dell. And then somewhere along the line, I, I started thinking that to be a really successful business person, I needed to dress in a way that other people dress, right, right. especially being in healthcare. So I started trying to dress the part. Um, and then I realized that I wasn't really being true to myself. And so I started being true to yourself is not this rigid. It's you do this all the time. It's just what is true to you in this moment. Right. Yeah. So I, basically I started wearing flip flops a lot in running in quicker. And then when I took over the National Entrepreneur Center, my friends actually told me I couldn't wear flip-flops running this big city nonprofit. I'm like, if I can't run wear flip-flops at the Entrepreneur Center, where the heck is anybody going to yeah, be able to wear, wear flip-flops? Right. So right. then when the TED Talk started, I'm like, am I going to really wear flip-flops up on stage? And my wife, she'd be embarrassed that I'm saying this, actually said, you can't do that, dude. Like, oh. no one's going to take you seriously. Be in service to your message, man. Care about your message more than your feet. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'm talking about being rigorously authentic, this is me, right? This is me. So yeah. I wore the flip flops and then I actually had this like big speakers bureau person reach out to me and she's like, I loved everything you did. I just have one piece of advice. Don't wear the flip flops. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And then all the, so I actually screw up this Ted talk at the very beginning. And the only person that noticed was my wife. But in all the comments on YouTube, the biggest question is about my flip-flops. It's crazy. Okay. And, yeah. and, and so it's crazy that we zero in on these little things. What matters most is that we don't hold back our unique perspective. But for me now, as I get older, me being authentic is wearing shoes. Because okay. I go to speaking engagements and people are expecting me to wear flip-flops. And I show up with shoes and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, my honest. feet hurt because I'm getting older. <laughs> my back is starting to hurt. I got back issues I didn't realize. So I'm a little bit more selective of where I wear. And oh, if when I'm traveling and doing speaking engagement, I'm, I'm on my feet a lot. And so I wear shoes. But the whole point is they become this symbol for me of not just like this like teenager. I'm doing this anti-establishment thing to say right. I'm the true me. It's actually being the true me, which yeah. means sometimes I wear flip-flops and sometimes I wear shoes, but I'm not, I'm trying not to let the, the situations dictate that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to let it be what feels true to me, but there are times where I will respect other people. If I go to a funeral, something sure. like that, sure. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't right. need to assert my identity. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and pull that back a little bit, not out of fear of what's going to happen to me, but out of love and respect for the other person. But the flip-flops out of... I thought saying great leaders do a drug addicts do would be the uh, crazy <laughs> lightning rod Absolutely. thing. I didn't think the flip flops would. I think it, I I I noticed it just because like my my attire has become the brand because I felt like in a profession where I had to be different, like I wanted to be me, and, I love and that's what struck a chord with like we we got a client a few months ago that said, look, I followed you for three years and I just haven't reached out because I cannot stand the way you look. So. <laughs> It's, it's hurt and it's helped. Yeah. But, so let me ask you this and, and, and we'll wrap up because I, I, I want to see, hear your perspective on this. 
Um, I've turned down speaking opportunities because they said you can't wear your normal attire. We need you to wear a suit or we need you to wear a, a button down and no jeans. And I've said, no, I'm not going to come because it, that's not me. And, and I, I don't think that that's what you have to do to be successful. So does that fit? Like, have you, have you done that? Have you, have you turned down gigs where they won't let you be authentically who you are? Yeah, you know, I, I, I have. Um, I think uh, it's, it's another topic for another day. This stuff gets really complex because sure. authenticity is, is also how do you um, live in the value system of the world? So like if it's authentic to me to just like murder people and rob banks. Right, that's not going to work. It's not going to work for right. the world. Right. Um, I, by the way, that's not authentic right. to me. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so I think sometimes, you know, we, we have to think about how we navigate those things. But for me, if, if, if being true to myself, I think is going to cost me something, that's where surrender the outcome is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I actually went and did a speaking engagement where it was for recovering addicts in a leadership program. And so I thought of all the places they would love my talk. And I changed the name of my talk because it's a different talk to great leaders live like drug addicts to model the book. And they said, could you change the title? to great leaders live like people in recovery. And they didn't mean any harm, but, sure. but I was like, no. And, and they, they were like, well, we think that the word addict has a tremendous stigma. And so we think you shouldn't say, cause it'll trigger the audience. And I said, that's why I'm saying it. I'm an yeah. addict and you're yeah. reinforcing the stigma when you do this. I'll be an addict the rest of my life. I can choose whether I'm in active addiction, choose whether I'm in recovery but I'm not actually a bad person just because I'm an addict. I'm a bad person if I let active addiction make me do bad things or whatever. And so I told them I, I did not want to change that because that really short-circuited the entire message. Luckily, in that situation, I risked not doing it, mm-hmm. but they saw the point and they let me do it. Sure. But if I was in another situation where someone's like, could you just not tell the drug addict part? I, 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 yeah. I, I don't... I have to think about it. Like maybe if the event was going to literally cure cancer and stop addiction, it might be my value system would value caring for other people sure. more than sure. keeping my identity. But if, if I can't tell the difference, then no, man, I would say no, because like the belief that you can't be successful being your true self is an absolute freaking lie. Yeah, yeah. You just have to trust that when you say no, there's a yes around the corner. Yeah. You're exactly so right. I love that you I love that you did that. And I think that especially if that if to, that feels if that feels like you're being true to yourself, then I think that that's the best course of action. I love it, man. Look, so, so grateful for your time. Um, I think this you is too, man. Thank ins- you for this. This is great. Insanely valuable. We'll have the link to pre-order your book below in the description. Um, and are you doing one on one coaching as well? Or are you just doing more consulting company? Um, we do, so I, we do some one-on-one coaching people on my team do it. And then I do founder or company coaching. Um, but we, most of the coaching ultimately we do through workshops cause there's more value in the sure. value in the group part. Yeah. Um, but we do, I mean, we do group coaching, we do workshops and then I do individual for founders and CEOs. I love it. All right, man. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, th- this has been awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. You got it.